This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Mignon. And I'm Luc Olivier Dumoblet. And our topic this week is... Levels of self-driving cars. Interesting. Uh, but first, we have some follow-up. Yes, we do. So in the, I guess I should say myriad or multiple episodes I've made about car software and car infotainment system software, uh, Yannick is always quick to point out that you shouldn't pay for those options because they're absolute, uh, I'll say it, piece of shits. Uh, and I think I found the best example <laughs> illustrating that. So Yannick, I think two days ago, sent me a Seattle Times article and the title is Thanks to a Glitch, Some Seattle Mazda Drivers Can't Tune to Their Radio Away from Q-U-O-W. And it seems that some issue that happened from this, I think it's, a, if I recall correctly, the article, it's an NPR station. But the gist of it is they were broadcasting te- uh, using the HD radio technology some information over the waves. Uh, and it seems to be related. They were trying to show the album art of some songs, but um, they were not including the uh, extension for this file. Uh, and that made the car infotainment, in- infotainment system in Mazda crash and be stuck in a reboot loop uh, because it was trying to arbitrarily just decode this file it didn't know about uh, and that would cause some bug in the infotainment system and then it would crash then try to reboot read the file again because it would still cache in some of its like flash cache on the infotainment system and crash again so Sadly for those users, and Yannick is laughing and I am kind of too because this is one dumb bug, <laughs> but, um, and I've experienced that in some extent, but like more than like mechanics and especially car dealerships, uh, they're kind of used to, to get the customer out of our way and possibly do a bit of a money grab. It's like, oh, we don't know what's wrong with this, P- this, this parts in your car. We just need to change it. And they are well known to do that with car infotainment system. Uh, ignoring the fact, I don't know the Mazda infotainment system too much, uh, but ignoring the fact that they could possibly have the tools or the skill set to, in each dealership to flash them, uh, they usually tend to say, Oh, it's borked. So you need to pay, uh, I think it was 1500 for this one to replace the whole unit in your car, which Hopefully for you, it won't crash again because Q-U-O-W won't do this again. Uh, hopefully for you. So yeah, so that was a funny article about that. It's kind of wrong to even be blaming the radio station for this because for all they know, like most cars on the road aren't going to crash because of this and their broadcast software let them do it. Uh, so like if anything, the the car shouldn't be trying to parse this file or anything if it doesn't know what kind of file it is to begin with yeah and again it's a seattle times article so it was not like a random blog from a nerd like us that was like going through the exact details of what they figured out uh but they did mention that this radio station uh contacted the company behind uh the hd radio standard and my guess from reading a bit between the lines on this article is that they were using a software provided by this company to uh, broadcast the uh, album art and there might have been a bug into it 
or it's kind of a weird board that if the user does this, it still allows it to send a, like a, an image file without uh, an extension. And maybe it's part of their standard or something like that. But for sure, there is some like a lazy programming done inside of the Mazda infotainment systems uh, to allow just decoding a random payload that is sent through the airwaves uh, to your car infotainment system. The other thing that this reminds me of is the one or two jailbreaks that there were back in the day that relied on bugs in image parsing uh, libraries. Well, not really image parsing, but image decoding libraries. Uh, and we saw the same thing on uh, PSP as well. I think actually the first uh, iPhone jailbreak was a libtiff exploit that had previously been used for a PSP uh, jailbreak in the past, which was not patched on the iPhone's first firmware or something like that. So that was very funny to me and made me think, oh, maybe you can hack this infotainment system if you just give it a badly formed TIFF file as your album art. <laughs> yeah, and I forgot the name of the company. I don't know why I'm blanking on it right now, but the uh, Israeli kind of like uh, spying hacking company. Uh, oh, was... yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, NSO Group? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that. So NSO something. But the, it has been revealed recently that how they were able to hack the iPhone and inject their spyware was to kind of act or kind of abuse of a weird random fax base uh, image format uh, that was still compatible with the iPhone to this day. So yeah. so yeah, so people, please be careful about your image processing code and try to sandbox it correctly and things like that. So that was the funny what the fuck card infotainment <laughs> system story of the week. Yannick, let's go to your follow-up. Yeah, it's not really, strictly speaking, follow-up. However, uh, I do want to announce that uh, I have been in interviews for the past two weeks, and uh, I've been given a new job, which I'll be starting on Monday. Wait a sec, you did have an episode about your professional career, so it is... I guess technically Official it's follow-up. Follow yeah. It and is follow-up. We talked about it in the podcast previously. Yes, it's a running, recurring theme on the show, so I guess it is follow-up. Um but yeah, so what's interesting is, uh, first of all, it's going to be a big step up, I think, in terms of uh, the kind of job that I have now. So that's going to be interesting, a lot of new things to learn. I'm going to be doing more modern uh, web development using Node, which is going to lead Ooh. to probably a lot of content for the show. Uh, <laughs> there's even a possibility that I'm going to get to use React Native and Xamarin uh, in my day-to-day, -day, which is going to be interesting as well for the show. Uh, so look forward to all of that. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to take before uh, I can start milking that for content, uh, but we'll see together. Uh, and as congratulations to myself on getting the job, I bought myself a PS5, which is sitting right here. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was luck I was a bit jealous up until you told me how much you paid extra over MSRP to get one. Yeah, and then I was like, okay, no, I'm not. And I guess you don't mind if I say it's three hundred dollars uh, Canadian. That okay, I paid yeah. as a premium. I'm like. I really want a PS4 and I say I kind of I say I really want I'm not really shopping for one you want a PS5 like, not a PS4 yes see <laughs> I guess I, I guess I want a PS4 at MSRP uh, but you're correct uh, I kind of want a PS5 but not really want a PS5 that I'm willing to pay uh, $300 so uh, $300 extra so I'm pretty uh, happy for you uh, even if I think you should have not paid extra even with our crazy market but I digress uh, and I hope to hear more about this new console because I heard it's amazing good thing you mentioned that because the next episode will be uh, dedicated to my first impressions of the PS5 
And then uh, provided that both of us get our copies of Gran Turismo 7 on launch day, which is March 4th, because we're both getting physical copies, uh, our plan is to do an episode the week after that, which is going to be our next next episode about Gran Turismo 7 and our first impressions of that. Uh, so it's been a while since the last episode we've done about a uh, Gran Turismo game at launch uh, since mm-hmm. 2016, 2017. When we dabbled into live streaming them too. That was a funny moment. Yeah, that wasn't necessarily the best episode, which is why I'm happy we revisited it later. Um, so yeah, uh, things to look forward to on the show uh, in the near future. And uh, yeah, exciting stuff to come in the coming weeks for, well, for us, I guess. Yes, for us. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I guess we should also mention that uh, we are a bit of a suckers for uh, the steel boxes for Gran Turismo games. I don't know if you get GT Sport with the steel box, but I did get it. So I didn't have a physical I'm... copy of GT Sport. Then I did, and I'm happy to. I'm happy that I'll be getting one for GT7, unless it is really bad, but it doesn't look like this. Hopefully, I'm not trying to jinx it right now, but I digress. That's it for me. Uh, so we can move on to the main topic. Good. So this week, I've decided to explore the topics of levels. And I did mention levels in the introduction because there are different levels of self-driving car. And the main reason why is was, was because I was curious to know more about where most car manufacturers are at these days on self-driving cars and what the future holds for us on that topic. And again... um. If you follow any car journalists in the recent recent days, yes, but also in the recent months and year, um, you kind of already know it's somewhat of an odd topic, mainly because of one car company that should remain nameless for now. But I'm like overall pretty curious about when people refer to level one, level two, what it exactly means. So this week, I kind of want to start to explore that and Gonna bring some of my opinions because uh, in the recent months I was able to experience different level of such technology. So uh, I want to wrap that up in one episode. So uh, let's jump into it. So first, I kind of want to uh, before we start talking about levels, I kind of want to start defining what driving is. Um, and more or less for the last 100, 120 years, like it means that you as a human, you. Uh, more or less monitor an environment, which is our roads. Uh, hopefully, uh, for you, it is uh, like real roads and not just in the woods or things like that, like it was like 125 years ago, but I digress again. Uh, and the idea that is important for a human to know how to drive is there are like commands and like a steering wing pedals that you need to activate properly while being alert to uh, incidents, to dangerous situation around you, which is what we can say. You can, you need to do the similar monitoring when you're walking around or running around. But because a car can go faster than you running, uh, it needs you to act quickly in certain difficult situation. So of course, like self-driving means somebody else is doing that for you and the car is doing that by themselves it doesn't need a different actor to do such things and i want to quote a good uh definition that i found from pc mag strange that it's pc mag but i think it was 
well verbalized. So self-driving vehicles are cars or truck in which human drivers are never required to take control to safely operate the vehicle. And of course, also known as automated or driverless cars. So they combine sensors, softwares to control, navigate and drive the vehicle. Oh, sorry. I just want to mention uh, it's a uh, I was wrong in my citation. I had another one for PC Magliron. Uh, this one is from the Union of Concerned Scientists. Uh, sorry, I have a lot of links <laughs> for the show notes uh, that we'll mention throughout this episode. And my notes were a bit confused. But while now I fixed my source, uh, there's still an important section that I want to highlight part of this definition that I think is pretty well verbalized. So if you've ever driven a car, like you know what you need to do and now all of those jobs no longer rely to you and are being asked by a computer equipped, a car equipped with computers and a bunch of sensors. And an important section of this quote is what I would like to get your attention of, in which human drivers are never required to take control. And to me, that is really the definition of self-driving cars. They more or less should act like they are trains. And I know it's easy to say like trains, subways, metros, but Again, those they they have a limited environment because they have metal plates on the ground guiding them to go through a certain direction. But the idea is kind of bring this soulless approach to driving a car, but on the road where you don't need to think about it. You can just input coordinate and things alight. You sit back, you relax, and you don't need to worry about doing any physical activities to get to your destination. Uh, and again, the other part about you never being required to do anything is this means that when shit hits the fan, because guess what? It will happen. Uh, you are not to be blamed. Uh, again, this whoa, assumes... Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Well, wait, there's a small caveat. Of course, this assumes that you're not actively trying to sabotage self said self-driving cars. Uh, but the idea is if the computer gets into an accident, hopefully you were not sabotaging the computer to get in an accident. So it means that in theory to what I would consider, and we'll go through the levels to see what it means. But in theory, the ideal self-driving car means that responsibility is not to a human driver but to the computer itself but, so um, why are you whoa, whoa, whoa me right now uh i guess i should state my bias up front that i i think i used to be more on board with the idea of self-driving cars before like even when we did earlier episodes about cars i think i was more on board with the idea then and i still think it has applications where it's useful but the whole notion of like, well, the computer is responsible. So ultimately, like no human is responsible and therefore no one is blamed for the accident. Like that. I see your point, that but that's not where I was going. bothers to. me. <laughs> right. And I think we can keep that section in the future. But I think what's important here uh, in a lot of those definitions you can find around the Internet is that. The owner, and especially assuming that our car ownership model where you as a consumer go to the dealership or to the cars, the, the manufacturer's store, uh, buy something from them and it has some functionality. Like if you just tell the car to go to point A, from point A to point B and something happens in between, you as the car owner 
in some fashion should not be blamed. And I think there's a bit th- part of that. Like if we take that example for, and let's say like it looks like your car is going to run into someone at a crosswalk, okay? And right? you grab the steering wheel and you turn it and you Aha! end up hitting them anyway. No, 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 no. And you'll see why. You just said something that we'll see in the levels. And I think that's why today I want to talk about those levels that are being referred by a lot of car journalists, a lot of, about a lot of like the tech bros that love self-driving cars. Like those levels, and it's a bit of a spoiler, have an implication that the ILS level of automation shouldn't allow a user, uh, a driver to take over. Like it's not required and it's, the system is not built this way. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, I know where you're going with this. Yeah. I think it's important that to go, we will go through this, uh, this classification of self-driving cars because it, I agree with you. It has a biased approach and a biased thinking to defining those levels. And one of its criticism is that it kind of tried to create a progressive evolution from those six levels that we're about to see, uh, to discuss, excuse me. But we all know that, as Yannick is trying to mention, there's no pro- easy linear progression. There's kind of some uh, it or miss situation. I also do so, want to state that today I started playing Cyberpunk 2077, so how technology uh-oh. can be abused is very much on my mind right now. And I read Sorik's crazy uh, blog post about hacking ethereum blockchain which also has levels of stuff that he was trying to explain that i didn't really understand (laughs) and i have a feeling that like crypto levels and self-driving car levels are going to be on equal levels of insanity for me in terms of like stuff i don't want to buy into but anyway i'll let you continue and we can revisit the ethical angle at the end yes because i think it goes and then with with my opinion of the current tech we have, uh, where it should go next. Um, maybe a bit of spoiler is kind of wish that some of the ideals that we are aiming at, uh, I hope we'll achieve them, but again, not in two years. <coughs> Definitely not. Uh, uh, I have a bad cough today. I don't know why, but to coming back into this level. So, uh, a standarding body named uh, SAE International, which stands for Society of Automotive Engineers, introduced in 2014 a new classification. And they are known for, they call it automotive, but again, I've seen some of their classification for uh, planes, for trains, for cars. Uh, they're also known for different classification for cars. I know they have they, they specified like headlights classification weird things and of course in 2014 and since then with the evolution of tech and what people have been doing they've have augmented their j3016 classification which is literally about self-driving cars so they considered that there are six level to the road of to the road to full self-driving car automation so each of them have a meaning attached. They also are numbered from zero to five. So let's start by looking at eye level. What are each level's names and which numbers are associated to? So you have level zero to two and you have level three to five. And they have two kind of, they, they fit those, those two are in categories. And the idea from zero to two is that the main 
monitorer, the main, the person that, or the body that should be monitoring the environment the car is in differs from section one to section two. And as you might expect, level zero to two is the human should be the person that monitors the environment the car is in and acts accordingly. And from level three to five, it should be the car. Why am I talking about those levels? And you'll see, and if you didn't know, uh, SAE International has been a a standardization body for, I think, 100 years, literally. Uh, And their work is used by our governing bodies. And the best example, again, in view here in Canada is Transport Canada's documentation about, like, they call it uh, autonomous vehicles and connected vehicles uh, is literally driven, like, of course they write it, but they are literally mentioning the SAE levels in them. Uh, same thing with NHTSA, which is the National Highway Traffic and Safety Safety Administration that our US uh, listeners might know of. Uh, car manufacturer will also reference those zero to five levels and the new car automation companies. Uh, they try to compete on level, oh, I'm level two, no, I'm level three. And I think it is important to better understand what each means because as a consumer, you can make better choices if you're trying to buy a car today. So let's dig a bit deeper into what each level means and where we're at commercially. So level zero as uh, is named no driving automation. Um, and as its name suggests, uh, the human is required to do everything related to car, to driving a car. So steering the car, accelerating, braking, monitoring the environment, reacting to events in the environment, aka emergency braking, like emergency maneuvers, things alike. And these days, and you'll see why, like most of the cars that we have these days are not considered level zeros most of them have functionalities that fall under level one because in the last 20 years things just to automate and i think the best example is a basic cruise control is considered a level one functionality and we'll see in just a bit why because level one is is named driver assistance so if you recall, and again, if you go in the market for the past five to 10 years, it's pretty rare to buy a new car, uh, whether you're a taxi or even like a truck fleet management, like without cruise control. Um, and the basic version, you know, uh, the one that you input the speed and it blindly follow that speed, ignoring whatever it's happening in the environment that the car lives in. So for what the last hundred years, hundred and like ninety-five to hundred and five years, most car felt into that category. No driving automation at all. So as I mentioned, level one named driver assistance can be verbalized as quote unquote ends on. So as a human driver, I am still required to control the car but certain feature mechanism technologies can assist me as a driver on some of the tasks. So while the machine and or a computer is assisting the driver, it is still the driver's responsibility to do most, if not all of the work that is driving. Even if a cruise control is set to 100 kilometers per hour, if there's a curve, 
I still need to to turn the steering wheel. If there's something in front of me, I still need to brake. But like cruise control is a basic, uh, is a basic example of automation. It's not doing everything; it's doing one thing and one thing well. Uh, and again, those systems, and we'll see a couple of examples of what are considered level one systems. And they, and those systems are really there to help a human driver. Some might say to improve its abilities driving a car. Some might say it's to make it easy to drive a car. Especially if you drive on a long road trip, having your foot at the 32.5 degree angle on the, st- <laughs> on the accelerator pedal might be tiring. And for sure, it makes it more comfortable to drive a car. But you'll see that a lot of those automations features have a different team around them. So let's visit a sample of features that is considered level one. So I mentioned cruise control, but in the recent, maybe 15, 20 years, uh, especially with luxury brands like BMW, Mercedes-Benz, they started that maybe in the early 2000s. But uh, adaptive cruise control is now more popular and more available throughout the typical range of cars you can find today uh, on the market. And it is an advanced cruise control. And depending which version you use, the basic is is the car uses sensors to, and I will say try to, because the first few versions were not so great at, but they might use, let's say, a radar to detect cars in front of you. And depending on the systems, the early ones, they were just sending you a notification that there's a car in front of you. But the more refined ones, the more later ones, they are able to keep a predefined separation between you and those cars in front of you. So because it is adaptive and it adapts, it doesn't just blindly maintain a speed because it puts priority into keeping a certain space. And usually the space is configurable. You have levels like from, let's say, one to three, like close and if you watch reviews or you, you read car journalist reviews about those cars they always bitch that the closest gap is big too big enough for uh highway traffic uh driving because people will cut you all but i digress again <laughs> but the idea is you can tell the computer or tell the car okay i want you to drive the closest you feel safe to the car in front of you um and things alike but certain system when the car enters that zone by the car in front of you slowing down they're not able to slow the car more recent system will be able to slow your car down so if the car in front of you decides to drive at 85 kilometers not 100 kilometers per hour your car even if it's at 200 will slow down to 85 to keep that safe zone and even some more uh advanced system uh like i forgot its name yes here here like the uh whether it's the bmw mercedes-benz or audi one uh they are able to completely slow down and you can imagine if it's very here for us but it happens here in montreal too but like if you're in a big city even on an highway with a big traffic jam you might literally be stopped on the highway and those systems now those adaptive adaptive cruise control systems are able to completely slow down to zero kilometers per hour and then start back up and slow down and stop and start back up so you can imagine that again it is another great comfort feature it makes 
it a bit more bearable to drive in great traffics and automate some parts of the driving experience. It feels like the whole state of California runs on uh, assistive uh, cruise control to some degree. Yeah, assistive. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think the best example, and I quote Doug Zemiru a lot, and if you watch, I think it's maybe his older videos from about a year and a half ago to two years ago when he was shopping around for a daily driver, he was like, I need adaptive cruise control for my job on my daily driver. I drive so much around California and... If you didn't know, California is more or less traffic jam everywhere, sadly. Um, so also seems like a lot of those people are spending a lot of time on their phone when they should be driving to me, but I, that's a different thing. That's a different thing. <laughs> I agree. But again, uh, a technology like that means that if you know you still need f- to go for 10, 20 kilometers in your lane without changing lanes, a system like adaptive cruise control could be your best friend, especially if you drive a lot. Okay, uh, another example is automatic parking. Parking is hard. Parking in the straight uh, section is hard. Parking between two cars might be difficult if the cars are giving enough enough space. So again, uh, another thing where you can tell the car, okay, I'm near a parking spot, just park yourself. Uh, and we've seen different evolution of this where you can do parallel parking or pimped perpendicular parking or even have i think certain i think uh, iande cars now that they have on the key fob bot- buttons to go forward and go backward if you're in a tight parking spot that you just press the button and they slowly but slowly start to go out and then for sure this is not automatic this one but again more or less what i'm trying to say is Using sensors again, the car is able to find its position in the environment, detect obstacle to complete a proper parking in a parking spot. So usually you tell them, I'm near a parking spot. The car detects, oh yeah, you're correct. You're near a parking spot. I see the parallel parking spot you want to use. Press start and I'll do the rest for you. Parking assistance is really, really funny to me because I remember back when I was actively watching uh, This Week in Tech regularly, uh, Leo Laporte was sponsored by Ford for a while, so he oh, yes. <laughs> got one of the first Fords with parking assist, and naturally he was like live streaming his Ford ad when he was using parking assist for the first time, and it crashed into the next car. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, yes, I, I recall the early 2000 Ford parking assist uh, feature, and yeah. that was pretty funny. Again, with the quality of sensors, those technology has greatly improved, but uh, yeah, still funny. Uh, because a lot of them are struggling with harsher environment. And we'll come back to this a bit later. Lane departure warning systems. Again, you, you'll see I'm, well, I'll say again, using sensor, uh, this technology allows or this feature allows the car to detect the painted lanes. And some might say that, what do you mean painted lanes on our roads? And I know what you mean by that. Some states and some provinces are struggling to keep the painted lanes still painted on the road. But bear with me for a sec. So this system allows to detect uh, lane markings, landmarks on the road and keep the car inside its current lane without human intervention. And the first few versions of these systems were more warning. So if you were about to doze off or drive off from in between the two lanes, like the system would just like vibrate the steering, vibrate your seat, have an, an audio cue to tell you, hey, you're about to drive, uh, you're about to depart your lane, please do something. But the more recent one, they can correct and keep you in the lane. One of the 
not the downside, but I think one of the evolution of those systems is the first few versions that were doing this correction for you, they were kind of doing a ping pong. They would let, they would detect that you're about to depart the left lane or the left side of the lane. So they would correct and you would ping ping back to the right side of the lane and they would ping pong on the left side and you kind of would do this kind of ping pong effect without the car being able to really stay centered in line. For sure, uh, they've invented the lane centering system that exactly exists for that. So to to kind of fix the reactive effect of a lane departure system uh, and to really stay um, in the center. Last but not least, which will allow us to uh, kind of like go to level two and you'll see why, uh, is the collision avoidance systems. And they come into two, I would say, flavor. The one that monitors the front of your car so that you're not about to rear end somebody else. Or the one that uh, are called a cross-traffic alert or cross-traffic impact, which is when you're trying to back out, uh, so to reverse or back out of your driveway, if it detects a pedestrian, if it detects a cyclist, or if it detects a new car, aka cross-traffic, it will either beep or apply emergency braking for you. Uh, and I've seen a lot of ads for this from car managers say, oh, the car detects it faster, and then like... They showed that the brake already applied before the, the, while the driver is about to press on the brake. So, uh, so they're trying to say that's safer than driver. I'll let you be the judge of that. But this is yet another feature that can be considered level one. So with all those features, again, there's more, but those are the most important ones I want you to keep in mind when we go through the next levels. But even at level one, if your car has one of these functionalities, I hope that you felt that there was a common theme with a lot of these. And Yannick, can you guess what is the common theme? Uh, no. No? Okay, that's fine. Uh, it is security. Oh, the, I, okay. The, the, reasoning, like, the reasoning why a lot of those functionalities are added is to make a car more secure and pick, to allow you to more or less allow it to not be the death trap that some people say it is because sometimes they are like people drive too fast and they don't react fast enough so a collision avoidance system could help you maybe not be better than the laws of physics but at least apply the brake faster than you might do because your reflex are not bad or like you said you were playing on your phone when you shouldn't be because you're driving because you're in california I think people driving and playing with their phone is not a California thing. But I see what you it mean. It just on... helps that they're always stuck in traffic, so they have nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah, but I see your point. So, and it's kind of, that was funny to me while I was like reading a lot about those level automation levels. And especially like all the features that makes level one viable. Because what... I am saying, and what car manufacturer was saying is like, oh yes, we need to invest in security. And again, we'll have to go back into our memory. I'm, I'm sure Yannick and I were not born before that, but some people remember when seat belts were not mandatory, even airbags, and that we lived through that because yeah. if you had like early 90s cars, a lot of them didn't have any airbags. Uh, and it's funny because those two examples, which add a clear impact on making cars safer for humans to use, 
were required by like were, were mandated by governments so that the car manufacturer improved them like the airbag is like i think 50 years old at this point but it became mandatory in the late 80s early 90s uh, in north america us and canada and while i say that i do have a funny story to tell about airbag mandatory uh, requirements and things like that so uh, a couple of years ago uh, a good friend and work colleague uh, was recounting a story about his mom buying a car and it's important that from the backstory that um, my friend's mom is in lebanon and he was having a conversation with her about her buying a new car and he was telling me that in lebanon and lebanon is one of those markets airbags are not mandatory so they are literally an option on the bill sheet you might by default some cheap car might not have them and if you want them you need to pay for it so he was literally recounting this story of saying oh yeah last night i talked with my mom my mom like and he's a car guy a bit like me too so he was like hey you know like she's talking to car to me because she knows what I like car. And he was like, yeah, she bought a car. She went, she didn't really consult me, but she came back saying, oh, I got a car. And he was like, did you get an airbag? Knowing that in Lebanon, they're not mandatory yet. And he was like, oh, but I got a great deal from a salesperson. Mm. And that was there. I forgot if, if it was like, like the typical US culture of, oh, it wasn't a car lot and it gave me a good deal. <laughs> but I, I recall it was like, oh, but I got a good deal on the car. And that was without airbags and <laughs> you cannot imagine how much i was like god smack that <laughs> there are still places on this planet that uh airbags are not mandatory and my friend was like yeah it's still like that in lebanon and <laughs> you have people like my mom that use that as a way to buy a cheaper car and, I, and he was kind of saying that like begrudgingly because he knew that airbags are important so yeah that's uh, small funny story about like if car manufacturers are not forced to put security equipment in their car they won't do it because it's cheaper so looking at a lot of those features that i mentioned have been existent in some cars for a decade or two and it was it is kind of interesting to see that especially in the past 15 years car manufacturers are bringing those features before they become required a bunch of cars add rear-facing backup cameras before it became a mandate from the u.s government which impacted of course the canadian government because again most of our cars sold here come not come from the u.s but are heavily influenced from the u.s laws. they don't want to do a separate skew just for us yeah and okay i'm going to go on a small another small tangent as i usually do but I kind of feel it's a bit of the, our government that's being lazy because again, I think these days, if we were to say we want this, uh, I know Canada, Canada is a way smaller market by tenfold, yeah. give or take compared to the US. But there are also different things. A good example is like, like Volkswagen Golf is way more, it was way more popular here than it was in the US compared to the Volkswagen Jetta because people like, and I'll make a reference, car-shaped cars <laughs> in the US, not uh, hatchbacks. But I digress, they are pretty popular here. Uh, and I kind of feel that, especially for security items. And again, we have certain things like we need to have daytime running light on on all of our cars now. And I think in the US that just changed recently. So if you import a car from the US, you need to fix that to be legal in Canada, for example. But yeah, so 
All of this is to say is that a lot of those functionality came from the security side of things. And that's a bit of the argument here a lot about self-driving cars is they're more secure. Um, and to me, that was really strange to see car manufacturer kind of build this argument. And I think it's a bit of the, the market forces is they thrown that in more luxury cars and more expensive cars. And they realize, oh, customers like that because they have less things to do or it makes a car more, it makes a car easier to drive or less tedious to drive. So the market starts to ask for this. And then, of course, people want a safer car. Like, it sounds stupid to say, hey, why would I buy a car that is less secure than the other one? But uh, I think car manufacturers are playing for that to add those functionalities. I don't know if this leads into where you're headed, but the one thing I'll note about all of these security features that you mentioned for level one is that, to me anyway, they seem like they mostly are used in lower risk environments like highways and I don't want to call a parking lot a lower risk environment necessarily because there are people walking around there as well. But like parking assist is like, it seems relatively low risk is what I'm saying. Whereas if you just go full on self-driving, it's like the wild west and it becomes a lot harder to actually quantify that it's actually safer in most scenarios. You're on a good uh, train of thought okay. right now about, um, I, I think what we're trying to say is they, they have to work in a simpler environment. There are more constraints like, around each feature, whereas exactly. full self-driving is just like, go nuts. You have to deal, yeah, you have to deal about everything. Yeah. You have to deal about an animal, you have to deal about potholes, you need to deal about human walking, about human biking, other human drivers. Uh, but yeah, It's not an, fixing an isolated problem, it's fixing all the problems at once. And this is a key element of level one, because if you've driven a modern car, and I will say, a, a re, no, I should say a recent car, um, because some consider 80s cars modern, <coughs> Doug the mirror again, uh, but <laughs> look, uh, look what, Gran Turismo is the benchmark for this. Modern cars are 2001 and newer because that's what you can buy in Brand Central in, in ooh, GT7. I like, I like this definition. I like, I'll, I'll still need this from you, by the way. Uh, but to consider a car to be at level one, you cannot have all of the systems that I just mentioned working at the same time. Level one is considered a system only on one axis, mm-hmm. meaning that a system or a car to be considered level one should only assist you on steering. So it could, it could be like, line key passing or line line centering but it cannot be line keep assist and adaptive cruise control because now it's controlling that's for level one okay okay but that exists right yes it does exist but that's the definition of level one okay okay. on level one the assistant is only on the assistance is only on one axis and they don't do an x and y but they say like steering versus Braking and accelerating is the two axes they that makes more or less mention. Um, and that's the division of literally level two. And I, I, it seems that level one is pretty big as a level, but it's not. It's to me, it's the foundation that the more you grow on this, a lot of these systems are additive. You more or less take all these systems together and they work end in end to do their job. And that's literally where we get into level two which is named 
partial automation, and that could be verbalized as ends off. And I'll put an asterisk to ends <laughs> off. So at level two, the automation system can take over steering, can take over accelerating, and can take over braking in the same situation. This is the, what I consider, this is the first level where the driver doesn't need to drive the car, doesn't need to operate the levers, operate the pedals to make the car drive. But level two is still the last level where human monitoring is required. So the system can steer, accelerate, brake in certain situations, but in a lot of situations, it cannot do that. It cannot interpret the input from the environment to output commands to the car. So in those situations, what happens? The car gives up, literally. It's like, human, please take over. So you job, your job as a human driver is to stay alert, but not do the job. Uh, and I think that's my main problem with level two is you're required to monitor the car, not monitor the environment, because more or less what those systems combine together tell you is like, oh, we can do the job until we can't, and we ping you that you need to react quickly. You said level two are basically like level one features, except they can run simultaneously, essentially, right? Essentially, yes. Okay, the problem with that, of course, is that that kind of only matters for highway driving. Mm. Correct. So basically, it's hands-off asterisk, and the asterisk is on the highway. <laughs> and then as soon as no, you get uh, into a city, like, fuck you. <laughs> uh, Ends-off means here, and you'll see it, it, it will fit with the other verbalized words. Uh, and I kindly stole those from Wikipedia, I won't lie. Uh, but I think they are literally like two words to like give a better name to the official name from SAE that is like partial automation. Uh, <laughs> you'll see uh, level three is all. Wait a sec. Did I did a bad copy paste? I think level two is all, level three is also called partial automation, but there's a, a small distinction. I, I would believe it, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I digress. Uh, to answer your question is that in theory, those systems can still work in a urban environment if they're monitored by a human the distinction i'm trying to make here is like yes technically the car can drive itself but it's not driving itself to anywhere it's just driving in a straight line <laughs> like navigation um, isn't a part of this right like no I- you're correct okay and even the, even the separation of highway driving versus like city driving or countryside driving is not even part of those conversations oh or, wow or those okay. levels yeah, yeah, yeah. It's literally, and again, it's unclear if you telling the car, and I think what you're referring to is what Tesla badly names, and that's my opinion, full self-driving, which is not full <laughs> self-driving, because more or less autopilot with FSD is still considered level two to this day, and you'll see why. Um, but the idea in theory is if you tell the car, please drive to this point, it might say, in the end, what the car is saying is, sure, I'll try. But if I'm encountering a situation I'm not capable of handling, it's your job to handle it. Okay. You're still the fallback. The human is still the fallback. And that's literally what they mean by hands off is hands off the steering wheel. Right. And that's why I put an asterisk to that 
because if you've watched any videos, if you've driven any of the modern tech, not all of them are hands off. But I'll come back to this. I don't know if this is spoiling anything, so maybe I'll cut this out if the ends if this does. But <laughs> is it correct to say that the state of the art technology right now is level two? You're that I was literally going to be my next okay, paragraph okay. is if today you go in the market, I'm and we'll sell our example, but if you're a consumer trying to buy a car today with at most automation as you can get today ignoring <clears throat> Tesla marketing, you're more or less getting level two. Okay. It's a mix of lane keep assist and lane centering, collision avoidance system, adaptive cruise control that can slow down to zero and can steer, detect lanes, detect the environment and detect that, hey, I'm not, like you mentioned, is it driving straight? No, if there's a curve, it doesn't know when to, if you're at a red light, it doesn't know unless you have GPS or your navigation on. Excuse me, your navigation on. It doesn't know if it needs to continue straight, turn left, turn right. So it might need those indications uh, by you signaling left or right. Uh, and a lot of those systems, when you're on the highway, they might a decide to pass a car because they you told the car, hey, I want to drive 100 kilometers per hour. And because it has an adaptive cruise control, it detects a car in front of you. It detects that it's going slower than you so it might do a pass uh, it might ask for confirmation for it to do a pass and i think the autopilot does that either when it wants to pass by itself i think you need to confirm that you allow it to pass it and i might be wrong it's been a while since i spoiled when we talk about my perceptions of uh, those systems when i drove my friend's model x uh, and i only drove it once so blah 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 uh, but even if you also want to pass a car without just being on the highway on uh, adaptive cruise control. A lot of those systems, um, I know the uh, BMW and Mercedes ones, they do that. Like you just signal and then the car says, oh, you want to pass the car? Okay, I'll pass the car. And then it does it for you. Um, so yeah, but today, all of those cars that you can buy are level two. They need you to be attentive. They need you to monitor the environment and they need you when the car literally gives up to take over you're still the fallback so um again now we're talking about this i just want to mention a few marketing names so i mentioned uh autopilot from tesla and fsd uh but again still remember i know the full self-driving option on autopilot aims to do level five which we'll see but again <clears throat> tesla marketing uh right now what's offered is seems like a bit of a jump <laughs> yeah and you'll see they say that like some people say it's 2.5 but the official sae level is integer base uh but i can't once we go into the definition of level three it kind of makes sense what people say 2.5 because the human is still the fallback but the car can do a lot by its own. Um, so, so that, um, another big one that is getting more, not po more popular, but is getting a lot of a praise, uh, recently is, I'll say GM, but it's mainly, it main, it's mainly introduced in Cadillac and Chevrolet's product and it's called Super Cruise. I think it's main difference with autopilot, uh, or some of the three German 
uh, German car manufacturer products is that it requires mapping of the road. So some car journalists, and from what I've seen, it seems pretty nice as a technology. It seems pretty reliable too. But GM needs to have map the road. We're using LIDAR, so laser radar, normal radars. It needs to have driven that road for you to engage the system. So that's kind of the advantage of knowing more about the context without having sensors in the, it does have sensor in the car, but not as advanced as the car that is mapping the road. So it can use that data to interpret the environment you're driving on uh, differently. It has the downside though, that it's not all the roads. Like a good example is if I look at the GM map for the, uh, what I will call the greater Montreal area, uh, not all the big highways around Montreal are mapped. So, oh, wow. and the fun, uh, yeah, and the functionality like Super Cruise is pretty interesting on highways. Um, so, so yeah, uh, and I was also watching a reviews of the latest, uh, Chevrolet Bolt and one of, <laughs> one of my favorite Quebec uh, journalists, car journalists was saying like, Super Cruise is nice, but it's kind of weird that on this highway, I think it was on highway 40, it works, but on highway 13, it doesn't work because it's not mapped. Uh, so the other thing that the- I can think of that can also potentially be an issue is that roads can change and they are not necessarily mm-hmm. notified in real time that the road is changing. <laughs> yeah. And. As many Quebecers uh, know, we have a lot of construction on our road yep. these days. Or I should say these days. Every year. <laughs> Every year. <laughs> but you're correct. Like There is, um, whether in the end there is real benefit, but in theory and paper, having the proper sensors on your car and the car interpret the input from the environment live seems a better solution than relying on more precise environment uh, equipment but that maybe drive this road once every blue moon when the special gm cars drive around to map a road i don't know if that's a cost thing though it surely brings the cost of the cars down because there's less actual sensors going in there um maybe maybe not because i think the other advantage of super cruise which will really make it sit real that is a level two technology is super cruise the way the way gm built it is literally ends off and that's why i was saying ends off star because a lot of the systems you need to still have some i'll say weight on the steering wheel Mm -hmm. that's how you communicate presence or how you communicate to the car that you're monitoring what it does you're monitoring the environment is by apply or keeping your steering wheel in the end. So when it does its like torque check on the steering wheel, like it detects a resistance. So you're still there. Whereas Super Cruise has a camera pointing to your face. So it's, a, it's really in a gauge cluster on, on top of the steering wheel and it's looking at your eyes. So you literally can wave and like do whatever with your ends. Um, because it will stay engaged up until you stop looking at in front of the car which i've seen some car reviewers trying to test the system by not looking at that and <laughs> yeah uh people are courageous so i guess more courageous than i am but yeah so um those are the few names again um uh, maybe a, a small uh, funny aside is uh, out of the three german manufacturer two 
of them, Audi and BMW have uh, uh, advanced driver assistance system. So uh, ADAS, when I use that uh, acronym, it's advanced driver assistance system. I'll use that later on a lot too. Uh, so all of their ADAS system has traffic in their name. So all these system is called Traffic Jam Pilot. And <laughs> I guess the designers at BMW or the, the designers at Audi consulted or knew the, the one from BMW because BMW is called Traffic Jam Assistant. So what you said about it being highway focus or traffic jam focus, like Audi's and BMW system makes it clear from their name because a lot of those level two system is taking Adaptive cruise control and inputting steering input, literally allowing the car to, to drive. So, so yeah, so that was another uh, funny marketing thing that uh, some of those car manufacturers are doing. Uh, a lot of the other ones, like nice, Nissan calls it ProPilot, Volvo and Polestar call it Pilot Assist, uh, Mercedes Benz call it Drive Pilot. So, using the, the uh, element of a car plane pilot doing that for you same thing with autopilot like planes have an autopilot uh so they they kind of also using the word pilot you're you're making it too complex the reason that audi and bmw use traffic jam and their traffic jam assist features is because there are a lot of audi and bmw buyers in california (laughs) that uh, that's not false it's not Uh, false false. i know firsthand (laughs) a lot of them okay so that concludes level two uh, and let's remember, level two, partial automation that can be verbalized as ends off. So guess what's level three? Well, you already said it's still partial automation. So I'm going to guess right, but partial ima- automation, ima- even more hands off. Okay. So first, uh, let me just confirm something. <laughs> Make sure your yes. Wikipedia okay. copy paste is correct. <laughs> My SAE copy was not correct. Okay. So level three is conditional automation. Huh. And yeah, I don't understand level three. I don't understand <laughs> the minute details they're trying to input there. And you'll see why in just a sec. So remember, um, one of the criticism of the SAE level scale is that they're trying to make it linear between each of the six levels and a lot of the critics, and I agree with that, makes says that a the progression in automation is not linear. There are small jumps, mm-hmm. zero to one. I think one to two is still considered a small jump, but I think two to three or three two to f- four, and we'll see why are big jumps. Do you think it's fair? Or, well, I think you sort of revealed your what you think of it earlier, unconsciously maybe, like. Is this one scale that goes zero to six, or is it two scales that go zero to two and three to six? And they're not necessarily related in terms of progression, but they sort of do. <laughs> My understanding is it is a scale that goes zero to five, because again, it's a oh, there's no six? zero. Yeah, no, it's it's six level, zero to five. Oh, it's oh, a okay. zero index base, if you see what I mean. Um I really believe that that's why this criticism is brought up by a lot of other scientists, a lot of other engineers, or a lot of people from outside of the SE is I strongly believe SE sees it into a zero to five. It's just that there is a shift starting level three because starting level three 
the main fallback becomes the system. The human is no longer considered the fallback. And I think that's why there is this zero to two, two, three to five split. And that's the big line. And I think that's where the, the big jump happens is because level three more or less says, as I mentioned, it, uh, I didn't mention this. So what I was trying you to find for the verbalization team they use or the verbalization words, they call it eyes off. So we went away from ends off uh, okay. to eyes off. But SAE says that, okay, first of all, starting level three, the human should not be a fallback. But my understanding of level three, it's literally a more advanced level two. So the ADA system can still literally drive the car in more than most situations. But there are an expectation that certain situation cannot be handled by the car and should be handled by the driver. And I'm like, if the car, if the driver is not paying attention, how do you want them to respond? And there's a, a quote again. Uh, this is from the SAD comment. Like they, they really say that the human driver should respond appropriately to a request to intervene. Can I give my interpretation of this? Yes. Is this just meant for passenger cars or is this more globally applied to all of transport? Um, my understanding of the SE automation levels is pretty car themed. Okay. Because I was thinking like if you were, because like my dad and my brother are truckers. If... Right. I think it applies to that though. Okay. I, I think okay. It's, it's car, but I think it's like things with wheels. So if you made a truck that was capable of doing basically like all highway driving at a high level of confidence like a a level of confidence that you would feel comfortable having eyes off running on highways but obviously like especially with a truck you're not going to reach that level of confidence in a city because it's too complicated like that's when the switchover needs to happen and because it is a change in context like the only I level you need to know is am I about to enter a city which means that most of that time you could be doing something else and you have some level of situational awareness during that time to know when it's a transition point so that's sort of like the the use case I see fitting into this I no, I, I think overall you're right because if I like for sure while I was doing that I was a bit critical of it too like if I take it to the meaning of the word I think you're correct is that car truck can handle situation to like 100% but certain other situation it cannot and if you think in terms of not necessarily like uh progression in terms of features but in terms of like which products will roll out in which order i think the first sector of transportation that is really going to benefit from self-driving to this degree is probably going to be the trucking industry yeah, possibly. Uh, like I've heard a lot of people's like ideal, uh, I like ideal ideas. That is like possibly truck drivers don't become truck drivers; they more become like like fleet managers. Yeah, that they might be in one of the truck, but they might be managing a fleet of five trucks driving on the same road, one behind each other, and they can come. <laughs> becomes like I've a ignored. trucking real time strategy game. <laughs> kinda, kinda, but like again, having. Today I'll completely ignore like the connected car aspect yeah, yeah. where 
car can talk to each other in certain type of network and blah blah, blah. like that's it that's also completely out of saa oh, levels really? like oh. Uh, that's my understanding. I haven't read the full paper because I need to buy it. <laughs> oh. uh, but again, in the context of communication, that seems to not be too much mentioned is my understanding. So I, I think you're correct. Uh, my my gripe about this is if you take an example about a lot of the, the, the current level two systems, when they gave up, they gave up. Like it's like mm-hmm. beep, 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 poof, it's off. So it alerts you but you need to have like millisecond to react. And while kind of looking about that, I was trying to find, like I know since the introduction of those systems, there has been a lot of studies talking about like what's the reaction time of people mm-hmm. when they need to act from a situation where like they're driving a car, they see a deer, how much time do they take to process? And um, the MIT from 2019 has been saying, from 300 milliseconds to 600 milliseconds. But there have been other studies that shows too that when you're kind of like gazing off or more monitoring a system and not actively looking for danger, like when you're driving, when you're supposed to predict a bit what's happening, you're slow to react. And that could be calculated into a second or two, not millisecond. So the perception is really more dangerous and the fact that level three does not give a time value or a quanti- quantify what's its appropriate response i think is kind of lacking i will kind of expect like because if it's like you said it can drive on the highway it's at the point on its mapping course that it needs to exit the highway for sure it has five six seven kilometers to ping the driver hey please yeah. wake up please wake up and if it doesn't like drive drive in park but at level 3 there is a concept that they need it, the driver needs to do something mm-hmm. and that to me was kind of weird because you could still consider a lot of what we consider level 2 and level 3 because that's what they do they say i give up beep, 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 and then you take over yeah it's it's kind of weird if you like try to flip the scenario around like you make a car that only works in the city and not on highways it's like but the highway is the easier problem to solve for so it would naturally be that and then like your context switch assuming you've got navigation or something like that well then you automatically like have the knowledge to ping before the exit or whatever uh so that your driver can take over so i think like that's the only real scenario i can see working out for this Right. Uh, and I guess, like, it could technically also apply to passenger cars if, like, Teslas were like this, if they were just, like, 100% okay on highways, and then you get to the exit in, like, five kilometers before it pings you or whatever. Right. And one thing I just confused, um, so level zero to two, the assumption is the human monitors the environment. From three to five, it's assumed that the system is the primary primary monitor. But at level three, that's the type way that the lapses I just made is level three, there's still the concept of the human fallback, ah, like okay. level two. So that, that's the, the thing I confused, sorry, about who's primarily monitoring the environment. That's the main concept from zero to two. It's the human. From three to five, it's the system. But level three is the last level 
where the human is considered the fallback solution. And that's where, if the human is still a fallback solution, we should put a time in that classification. Like, the human should respond in 60, like 600 milliseconds. I know it might sound a bit too, like, squared and too, like, to the point, but if that's the assumption, and I think that's why we see a lot of the tech trying to ignore level three, and we talk about about level two, level four, because level four is named eye automation, which is could be verbalized as mind off. At this oh, point, <laughs> the car can monitor the environment. The car is also its fallback. And at that point, there might be a steering wheel in the car still because our car comes with steering wheel, but the fallback is still the system. There's no human fallback the car is able to safely give up i can call it it's able to uh, to recognize there's a decision it cannot do usually it does mean that it can handle emergency situation but it cannot handle possibly bad weather or one of the key aspects of level four is it cannot handle all geographies there's a concept that in that level you can drive in different you can do a lot by your own but you need to be in a known box and you can think about that about about the city or possibly that's where your example of a car can only drive on highways a dog can only dive on the city and that's literally what uh, SA calls level four is it can do like I think here they, they don't put a percentage, but my understanding is they can drive into 90% of the situation. The car can do a bit of, like, most of the highways, most of the cities, possibly because there are mapping tools they're using, like, the software is also optimized uh, for a specific location, but there are still things it cannot handle, but it's able to recognize this and not just give up and have somebody take over for the fallback, but recognize the situation and possibly safely stop, safely park. Uh, or, yeah, and a good example is, like, I'm not sure if anybody does that, but, like, the car has a flat. It knows, all oh, crap, I have a flat. I can, like, swiftly drive the car where I have, like, one wheel not properly inflated uh, and things alike. At that time of recording... Again, hopefully you're not listening to that in 10 years, but if you are, uh, this information might be uh, a bit out of date. So at the time of recording, there are no cars at that level that you can buy as a, as a consumer. Like we, you might know of companies that do that and you'll see those, the com- most companies that focus on or that should I, should I say start at that level? Um, they, are focusing but for different needs. They're not focusing on car ownership freedom or like move freedom of movement for consumer. They're focusing it on different things. You mentioned uh, truck driving. Uh, the example I have here is automated taxis. And a good example is the well-known Alphabet subsidiary, Waymo. Uh, that is pretty clear. We are level four. We are operating at that level. Yes, we want to go to level five, which is, as you might expect now, the sixth level and the official full automation uh, level. But, and that's one of their issue is right now, 
if you go to San Francisco, if you go to Phoenix, Arizona, you can hail a Waymo using uh, their service Waymo One, and the car is coming as no driver whatsoever. I think it has remote monitoring, meaning that the human in the central is monitoring the cars to see if something happens to it. With latency, I I presume. (laughs) But I think it's not to like directly detect what's happening every millisecond. It's more to detect and hear me out here. I haven't inspect this. I know there's a bit of this concept in the sea level that's like a human can detect a the car into its safe fail mode. It has been like stopped safely, but somebody needs to possibly like do something to Hmm. reboot it or things like that. And I think that's what Memo is doing. But now my research is pretty limited on that. But the main reason I mean that is because I recall hearing something like that on the, uh, decoder podcast. I might be imagining, but if you want to know more about Waymo, there was, there has been a recent episode of, uh, decoder podcast from The Verge editor in chief. Uh, Nilay Patel, where he interviewed Waymo's co-CEO, Tekedra Mawakanna, and they discuss about Waymo, the company, a lot of their approach to self-driving, where they're going next, and things like that. So it's a pretty good episode. It's a good find from me uh, in the recent weeks and months. Uh, I've been sending episodes to... I think... Were you the one suggested me? I forgot if I yeah. find it myself and then... Uh, okay, you're the one recommending. You did so. suggest the podcast to me after I suggested it to you, but it's fine. I didn't mention it at the time. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. So Yannick suggested to me, I started listening to it, and then I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. You should listen to this, 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 this episode. Yep. Every time I find an episode really enlightening. So again, and one of the main downsides of what Wemo is doing right now is they're stuck in San Francisco. They're stuck in Phoenix. They They are not deploying at large scale their technology because their software and their self-driving car still have some assumption to where they drive. And my guess is possibly software optimizations, possibly mapping optimizations. Remember what we discussed about Super Cruise? I forgot if they've done something like what GM has done. I think they did. Uh, and the other thing too is, and I mentioned here, uh, Canadian weather, uh, in my notes, <laughs> but even Neela in the episode's like, Hey, New York, there's snow. What do you think about snow? Nice Neela uh, impression. Neela, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's super bad, super bad. <laughs> but, uh, more or less, like, uh, Tekedra, like, she recognized that, yes, we are currently uh, operating in, Nice weather locations. Yes, it rains in San Francisco uh, once every blue moon, but uh, six months out of the year, they don't have the problem where you cannot read the lanes, the, the markings on the road because there's something covering it, right? Yeah. Uh, and those harder concepts or harder environment. And Im- okay, I shouldn't say Yannick, imagine because. You haven't driven, but you've been a passenger in a car, and yes. especially in the winter. And you know, as a driver, and sometimes I'm also confused. Like I- I'm not afraid to say it. Is I don't want to base where I'm driving because the I- the highway or the road is full of snow based on the pressure in front of me, right? Yeah. You want to calculate the distance. Okay, I'm on a two way highway, and okay, I know that my car fits about like two thirds of a lane, for example. So I should aim myself to be in this spot in the lane. Even if the person in front of me is a bit off, I use also their presence on the road to try to guide me without 
follow fully following following them because that's recipe for disaster but all these concept is even still at level four those harder scenario the car might not be able to handle it so should be able like if that happens my thinking is especially if i don't know tomorrow it starts snowing in phoenix the car will be able to handle oh my god my like lidar sensor because uh wimo is well known to use not only camera base uh input of the environment but also uh, laser da- radar and radar they were one of the first to do so actually i think you're correct i think you are correct i didn't want to say they were the first but i think uh you're correct about they are being the first so and sadly like lidar utterly despise snow like <laughs> this is one of like from what for my thing and i'm not a lasers nor a radar expert but from some of the picture i've seen of how a uh, lidar perceives snow it's likely to be like in a fog like it's wow, like a, i need to go look that up <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it's really their achilles heel because uh they cannot perceive the environment with i forget exactly why uh, i sucked at physics should i say that so <laughs> light and everything they do things you know lasers <laughs> exactly you know radars and lasers they do things that are pretty amazing but they have downsides too like snow and i agree with them i don't like snow either i love okay. snow yeah i know i know uh, uh, uh okay now i'm being depressed about winter but today it's, the weather is not too bad uh but yeah so in short summary um level four eye automation Literally, you're in the car, and the car does most of the work, but there are limitations about in which environment it can do 100% of the job. And that's literally, it can do 100% of the job in a box it knows, or in a certain situation, or in certain context, certain environment. Like Phoenix, Arizona. This car can handle everything. It can handle, pass- it can handle pedestrian, it can handle biking, it can handle pothole. I don't think it, no, I, uh, I'll correct that. <laughs> I don't think it can handle potholes, though, but uh i digress but yeah it can handle session which brings us to our conclusion level five which literally can be it's called full automation and can be verbalized as steering wheel optional at this (laughs) point the human driver is not considered a driver but more or less a full-on passenger the automation system can take care of any situation that it is expected from a human driver when you drive, they, when they drive a car from level zero to two, the car might be equipped with a steering wheel, but my understanding is that they don't speculate too much about why you should keep it or not. But my understanding is to give a certain freedom. People like me that like to drive today, you want to drive, go drive a car. I don't know how it will work. Like, and SA don't really doesn't mention anything how a car that is fully automated but can also be manually operated will work. <laughs> I guess future will tell. Uh, but this idea is it might be a of a steering wheel, but it's more of a I want to take over. Like you, the driver, are saying I want to take over, not the computer saying please take over. And that's the big shift. That's literally where uh, when we've idealized what self-driving is that's level five and to this day nobody is there even the people that are close at level four are they still say it and i think that's what uh takedra said that was really enlightening in that interview with nila is like they know like they're working hard 
to make that make that a reality but they know that they suck in snow they know that they suck in like northern weathers and they're trying but they're not really telling us anything yet and i don't know how far we were from level five but when you talk about full self-driving maybe these days uh people will think tesla because it has been in the news a lot for their own version of full self-driving but that is what i think people idealize it's literally on top of the typical freedom uh strong car ownership culture like north america is my understanding of level five when they verbalize it as steering wheel optional is it gives you the freedom of choice if the car manufacturer decides the car can be driven by a computer so why should we input this why should should we give you a steering wheel like it could be a consumer option to say like do you want the car to be driven or do you want to be driven by your car so i'm expecting that once we have the technology to be at level five there are going to be designers and i'm not saying car designers but like product designers of cars that will make the choice saying you know what our cars are not with steering wheels you will buy them as a pod that that drives you around i mean and that will be that's kind of what tesla wants to do by putting the witcher in their cars (laughs) (laughs) yes yes and they're putting a lot of screen that you can watch while driving too but that's another thing yeah uh but yes in theory uh if you have screens that you can play games on that's the idea and again that's the idea behind a company like waymo and i use them as an example because i think right now they're pretty advanced on not getting at level five but at uh, at their tech they've been doing it for a really long ass time like when we were at google io in 2011 there was the like at the time they weren't called waymo yet they were still just the google self-driving car project but there was a google self-driving car on the on the show floor and we could see it and it looked really impressive. Also, um, I, I don't, well, I think I told you this privately, but I think it's funny to bring it up the other day when I was coming back from the grocery store, there was an NVIDIA self-driving car outside my house, uh, gathering sensor oh. data. Ooh, really? Oh, that's nice. I always, uh, kind of quote unquote freak out when I see like the Nokia here, uh, <laughs> cars in montreal like gathering data for mapping data and stuff like that i guess i've seen like google maps cars plenty of times but i think i've seen in montreal apple maps cars i've seen I'm an apple sure. maps car on the highway in the opposite so. direction when we were Ooh. driving to shawinigan one time uh oh nice but yeah the other, only other self-driving car i've seen uh in public was literally in front of my house the nvidia uh self-driving car when i was coming back from the grocery store like a month ago cool cool so those are the five uh, i shouldn't say the five levels there are those are the six levels uh and i think overall after research they're not ignoring level three i still struggle to grasp level three but i don't think they're super hard to grasp but again they're not the the most sexiest or marketing e-terms and the best way to promote self-driving cars and i think that is one of the challenges coming well, right now is how can a consumer compares the tech offered by car manufacturers in a more kind of like down to earth level or in a more standardized level? Like even if you take those six levels, I did tell you most systems these days are considered level two. But what happens when somebody 
breaks out of the mold and is able to deliver a level three or a level four to consumers, not just into a ride ailing company's product. But like, just thinking about it, level three seems like give it three to five years max and we'll be there. Because like from the way I interpret it, like I said, like if you can have a very, very high level of confidence on highways, what I essentially think that is going to boil down to is Tesla does a shit ton of bug fixes <laughs> and that's, you're pretty much there. Like possibly you, you need Tesla's to stop like interpreting uh, traffic lights that are hanging off of a truck because they're being driven back to a warehouse somewhere and not, and not interpreting them as actual traffic lights, which has been a bug that I've seen recently. Oh, the be- the best one is the yellow moon as a yellow light. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yes, the best one is that one. But and you're like driving on a straight highway that is literally the the moon is literally in the <laughs> field of view of the camera. That's hilarious. But like, and it's like, if we go with my interpretation, that I say like, okay, like a, a minimum, like the the likeliest product to be a level three is something that can drive with very, very high confidence on highways such that you don't actually have to look at the road while you're on a highway. I think that's feasible if you just fix a lot of bugs and edge cases. It doesn't seem that far off. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not arguing against that. What I'm more or less saying is even if we have this standard levels, I don't think they are... Ver- even if there are verbalization out there from people, I don't think they are verbalized enough and easy to grasp enough so that oh, yeah. you're cross shopping two cars and you're trying to figure out which one has a system that works with your needs. Yeah, yeah. these are not consumer terms at all. I don't think they were conceived no. as such either. I think they're very much meant to be like industry jargon so that people who talk about this shit can sort of categorize things into these buckets. But they're definitely right. not consumer facing. And I think that's kind of why Tesla is getting away with a lot of their marketing bullshit. Yeah. And I think that's what I felt that is missing after reading a lot and researching a lot about those levels is they make sense for car engineers and truck engineers and people that want to know more. Like I spent maybe three or four hours reading a lot of articles on the SAE website that are available for free <laughs> because they're not all available for free. Of course, not. Uh, of course not. Yeah. But like I was referring to when we like, not that I was referring, but I was thinking about like, how did we help consumer make better safety choice? Like governments required like safety mandates where they test the car's safety levels by crashing cars and then they end up on the window sticker with stars, right? Maybe the current test suite is not uh, up to the modern center where like I think most cars are either five, four or five stars on all the categories. But I digress. I think we are at a point where we can have all the technical people about talking about those six levels, but we need to find a way to translate that into a way where consumers Especially, like you said, I think you're right that we're not that far off. We're far off from level five, but we're not that far off to a level three, which could be it will handle all the cases on the highway. Maybe not in snowy weather, but it might handle all the sunny, uh, the non, the, all the sunny, the rainy situations. And then when it's not able to handle it, either it doesn't allow you to 
turn on the system or if it detects and it enters a new zone where that happened it's able to tell you i'm about to stop i'm about to stop do something do something if and if you don't do anything it'll slavely park itself on the side of the road and then put the four-way lights and be like i'm done and human please do something if you want to continue your road right i think that could be possible but that sh- we should the industry should find a way to make that easy for the uh, consumer to understand what they're buying it's interesting because like the security features to some degree was kind of like I distinctly remember like a period of two or three years where every car commercial was like, oh no, I'm about to roll over little Johnny uh, and <laughs> my backup camera saved my ass. And <laughs> yes, it's like, it. it's interesting because to some degree, I think that kind of marketing is ultimately what works, except people are seeing less and less ads as they watch less and less broadcast television that I think it's not necessarily the best uh, venue for that. I don't know, like, does TikTok have ads? Maybe they should be advertising there and trying to come up with, like, a seven-second pitch of, like, whatever their <laughs> state-of-the-art uh, self-driving tech is. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it seems like a more complex problem to market. And that's more or less where my problem lies, mm-hmm. is... We can come back to some of the uh, ethical uh, yeah. things when we talk about the future. But <laughs> yeah, the commercial is cool. going to be like, now you can run over people and feel no guilt because... <laughs> right. Like, that's going to be interesting. But I think it's cool. Even if I like to drive cars, like, okay, my work allows me to, ignoring the pandemic, I don't, I don't live too far from the office, so either walk, bike, I never bike, but take the subway and go to the office. I don't really need to drive for the last nine years to go to work. And to be honest, I think last time I had to do that was when I was in my own town driving at the grocery store or small some of the small jobs I had. But I don't have those needs. But one of my, not main gripes, but one of the main moments where I kind of find it boring to drive is, again, let's ignore the pandemic because that happens a bit more rarer these days. But when we would go to see our family, like both my boyfriend and I's family is in the next hometown. Like we grew up not together, but like in the same hometown. So we do drive and spend weekends doing family. So sometimes it means that we leave a full week of work, like at Friday around dinner time. And while I'm still capable to drive plenty, like still aware of my evidence, everything, but I, sometimes I don't have the willingness like i'm i want to go see my family so of course i drive but in those moments i'm like i kind of wish i just press a button and everything happens and especially what you describe which is like you press a button maybe i need to drive to the highway press a button and it does the rest and then it tells me oh i'm about to exit the highway please do something like to me that's that will cover a lot of those cases where i don't want to drive because i'm rarely stuck in traffic and i think I've discussed and Yannick has made a lot of jokes in this episode where a lot of those needs, if you're stuck in traffic, I think today's car handled that great. Yeah. So I'm at the next level. Do I want a, a like an automated pod that always brings me for A to B? Not really. As a nerd, will I giggle and really, I, am I curious about this? Hell yeah. Like hopefully one day I can go back to San Francisco, but I really want to try those 
like way more cars yeah. uh, i'm sure i'll be terrified but i'm so super curious about them like don't get me wrong as a tech problem um, it's kind of fascinating as an urbanism uh, so, as someone who fell down the urbanism rat hole uh, over the last couple of years and has gotten like really interested in like why are all of our cities completely fucked up and car dependent uh it depresses me that this is just another way to keep car dependent culture alive uh and i Fair. i would much rather see that kind of investment going into like proper transit systems and denser cities and less stupid suburbia but that is a whole other podcast yes so i think i've entered also that's kind of right now my opinion of such text is I think there's a cool features. Um, possibly it's not solving a lot of the uh, urban environment issues we're struggling with, especially with having denser cities where people are taking active transportation like transit. I love transit. I kind of miss taking the metro. It sounds weird. I don't miss the people <laughs> I, in the I metro. I totally don't understand you missing the metro because I haven't taken the bus since September. Oh, come on. The bus is boring. It's like, I, the bus Honestly, is I'll the take it. Is... Uh, I'll take it just Fair. because I missed the bus, except like right now. Well, okay. Maybe a month ago, I definitely would not have ridden the bus no matter what. Uh, right. And, and now, since my work is literally five minutes away on foot, uh, <laughs> I don't need to take the bus anymore to go anywhere. So, Right, right. Uh, but yeah, I think it's pretty cool. And again... I like my personal car don't have any of this tech and it's funny like for sure my 99 boxer like it's normal that it doesn't have any tech it only has basic control and I think it was even an option like just to give you an idea I may be exaggerating on the option but <laughs> it's, it's for sure everything's an level. option <laughs> that too maybe that's that but I think at that time uh cruise control was kind of a not an option but I digress but even my 2017 Focus RS yes it's a sport sportier car but I think it was more showing that it was a, a end of generation car from a car that was originated, like not the RS version, but the Focus version was from 2011, than that it was a car of its time because a lot of its competitor, direct competition, Golf R, had a lot of, or has a lot of those systems in the previous generation that spanned from 16 to 21. So I don't really experience this. So, and I tried to, while I was preparing my notes for my opinion, is I, I try to really see what problems do I have sometimes when driving that I'm trying to fix. And I think I've, like the ex, the highway example that Yannick mentioned multiple times is my problem. I drive when there is possibly less traffic. Sometimes I'm still stuck in traffic because big city and car culture, but uh, the role and a lot of the tech... It's good for that. Like, I've tried a Model X using uh, Autopilot, not FSD, because I think last summer it was not enabled or my car, my friend was not in the beta. I don't remember, but I did try Autopilot, and it's pretty cool. Like, it works okay. I've seen moments where I'm, like, sitting in the back seat and it's enabled. I'm like, we're about to hit the car. We're about to hit the car. Oh, oh okay, it reacted now. And, like, I'm like, okay... So uh, it's still not perfect. And I, I agree with you. There are bugs to be fixed and I hope they're going to be fixed. But even the other example that I've ran into a bit more recently is my brother has the latest Kia minivan called the Carnival. And it has a minimal ADAS system, then keep assist, adaptive cruise control. And on a country road, on the highway, not too much traffic. It worked great. For sure, sometimes it's like, oh, no, I don't know what to do. I give up. <laughs> and you're like, Ugh, you're kind of dumb. But 
in normal situation, for sure, countries, I think it's maybe like me pushing the limit. It was not like it, sometimes it didn't like the more accented or the more curvy roads compared to a, a typical like sweep, uh, like curved sweep from an highway that is super easy to take at the highway speed compared to a back road or country road. So maybe that was the limit of the tech, but to turn it on, steer, make sure it does nothing stupid. It worked fine. So I have a, nothing against that, but just don't forget. And I'll put, I'll put a link, uh, that somebody was retweeting with talking about Tesla news, but, uh, the guy is called Johnny Speed. And I think he had a great summary of my thinking is, and he says, I'm a car enthusiast. I'm a driving enthusiast. One day I welcome a car that can take me home from the pub autonomously. Mm, I will too. Like, when I go to, of course, that is changing because Tony got his driving license. But like when I was the only driver in our family, when we went to family's friend, like I have a rule, like I calculate my time, blah, blah, blah. I'm pretty like anal about not driving at any drop of alcohol mm-hmm. or making sure I spend a lot of time to my friends uh, to make sure that everything is fine. Uh, but like sometimes I kind of want to enjoy maybe one more cup of wine or one more glass of wine that night and I don't want to be stuck with driving but I still want the flexibility or the freedom of driving a car because we discuss about our car culture uh, but as he said we're not there yet and he suggests he was suggesting that we should maybe make cars smaller lighter and roomy first but that that I agree more and more the statement that we're not there yet so let's not try to say that we're there yet and I think that's where I believe and that's why I was giving the example about what do I think about the future. I'm not able to predict when people will be able to buy a level five, le- level five autonomous car. I don't know. I hope it will happen soon. I hope it will happen before I die. Hopefully I die in my eighties and nineties. Like that's the thinking I see here. But will it take five, 10, 20 years? I don't know. But one important aspect is set in my mind is First, we should educate consumer on what are the differences. And B, I think that's the other point is I should not be a guinea pig because some random dude decided to buy a Tesla. Mm. Right? Yeah. I think if you want to take the data from people driving their own cars and put that in AI and then improve your driver, fine. But this tech shouldn't be tested in our roads where everybody becomes a target by accident. It's just like very difficult to test that otherwise though. Like where else are you gonna test? Agreed. <laughs> I, I agreed. I agreed. And I think that's where the real problem lies is how to test it in a let's call it a simulated environment or a closed box environment that is a real, 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 real close to a real life environment. And and I think it become it, it brings back your point you were trying to make at the beginning of I, ethics yeah there's ethics and there's also like what we know from the graphics card industry which is if you have a benchmark people optimize for the benchmark and cheat for the benchmark uh oh. like for graphic let's talk do you want to talk for the next three hours about the zero to 60 benchmark because i think we can do that too. yeah or even like the volkswagen diesel uh emissions thing, right right but like graphics cards forever have had like cheats in them where if they detect that the running process name is like 3d mark or whatever well it just like 
okay, here are like pre-baked responses to these instructions so that we don't actually have to do the math in real time. <laughs> we just return the result directly and shit like that. Wow. Um, it's it, it, so, so literally like Volkswagen just stole the graphics card. Yeah, hey, graphics cards have been doing this since the beginning. Uh, <laughs> I, I think they, they cheat a lot less now than they used to back in the day. Back in the day, it was pretty egregious. Um, but yeah, like, uh, that's the problem is if your certification or whatever is dependent on a certain simulated environment that is either in your control or stays relatively constant, you can cheat around that and you can get your certification for things that you are not really supposed to uh, be certified for. Um, and like that that's really the complicated thing. And that's where like what, what we were talking with regards to ethics and all that stuff is like once humans stop being responsible for driving their own cars, if the car crashes into someone, does it become the car company that's responsible for the dead person? Does it become uh, the individual programmers of the AI routines mm-hmm. who become blamed for this? Do we just like say, ah, no one's to blame. The machine did it. Uh, that like when you were talking about the levels uh, of uh, self-driving, I got a big Isaac Asimov uh, vibe from that because like his novels <laughs> really touch on the ethics of robotics and like what rules robots have that they can and cannot break uh, or more specifically laws. Um, and I'm very uncomfortable with like cars already kill people. And I, like, I think you can make a compelling case that in certain scenarios, cars are going to be safer than humans at doing things. The problem is like, thinking about trying to solve all of the problems of driving at once sounds like a nightmare (laughs) and i don't see a way you can do it well at scale Hmm. yeah i i don't really have anywhere i'm going with this it's just it's it's very hard to think about a problem like i know it's multiple problems and each each of them have their own complexity but the compound nature of like all of these things could be happening at the same time and getting the computer to make decisions about that stuff, it's just really tricky. And then you have all the other stuff, which is like, okay, well, what if we have an AI that doesn't detect black people as people, whereas they detect white people as people, and therefore they you have these cars on the road that run into all the black people. And like right. no, other stuff like that. For, <laughs> for sure. And to go back to your point about it's like a bunch of art problems, like it's I was about to be image caption, but it's image analysis, and it's possibly sound analysis. Like, there's a lot of hard computer problems on top of, okay, we solved this, then where do we put the bias in all those algorithms? And uh, there there are some really, like, well, funny and also depressing uh, Twitter bots that take, like, uh, image recognition bots, uh, or rather image recognition algorithms powered by machine learning, and they just tweet the image that they sent and what the what the algorithm recognized it as. And sometimes it's like just completely fucking wrong. It's like it's a picture of the word hat and it says, oh, it's a hat with like 36% confidence. And you're like, well, <laughs> that shouldn't be your guess because it's literally the word hat written out in text. And you're like, well, if cars are running on this shit, we're fucked. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, yeah. I should just I should just put a, a, a sign that says stop and it will stop. Yeah. Uh, so, so so like it, when you think about it, like it's easy to see stuff like uh, GPT three. Uh, like uh, the other day, there was this thing that was going kind of viral where uh, you gave it like two nouns and it would write a short story about these things. Uh, and it gave some absolutely hilarious results that were coherent and sometimes even thematically appropriate. Like if you use like celebrities or uh, fictional characters' names, sometimes it actually even had the intelligence to be like, oh, here are some of their traits that you know. Uh, like you wrote Tifa Larkhart from uh, Final Fantasy VII. It was like, oh, and she's a pretty girl or whatever. And it's like, whoa, where did you get all of these like details about these things? Now, it wasn't pretty girl because that's too obvious, but it was like stuff along those lines. Or I think like someone made a joke about Columbo and then it was like, oh, the detective. And you're like, how the fuck did it do that? Um, but it's easy to be impressed by machine learning. And then you look at the image recognition stuff and like the levels of confidence it has, and then it becomes a lot more worrying and you have to like always gauge your excitement about this stuff. And unfortunately I think, uh, Elon Musk is kind of high on his own supply. Uh, well, not kind of, he absolutely is high on his own supply (laughs) and it's giving people unrealistic optimism for right. the state of the art tech. And I think Waymo is a much better example to be looking at as a benchmark for where we are in terms of this technology, because you can see their progress. A lot of it has been done in public or has been publicly documented at least. So maybe like you can't get the instructions on how to build your own at home, but you can at least see that they've been working on this technology for a really long time. And you can see progression in how they've been solving various problems and I think if you want to know where the state of the art of, uh, of self-driving is, look at them. And if they're saying XYZ problem is really hard and we're still working on it, you should probably assume that it's really hard and they're still working on it. Hey, you should ask their, uh, I shouldn't say their ex-co-founder, but their co-founder, literally, he stole their tech and brought it to Uber for their own yeah, self-driving program. So, so I guess it is so good that it got stolen, literally. Yeah. So. So yeah, no, and you know what? I think you're bringing up good points and they're not different. I was about to say different words, but that's what I mean right now about my kind of problem with some of the current products we have out there with Tesla is literally like, I don't want to be the guinea pig for, for that deck. And it is one approach to test it right now. But what if I, I don't know why, but the like, I don't want the argo- the algorithm to be biased for anybody, I- including me, you know, mm-hmm. right? So I don't want to become a big just target because I don't know why I'm wearing Sorry, you have the- a beard. You didn't fit into the uh, algorithm. <laughs> or I have a sign that says at and because it detects a sign with the letter H-A-T on it, like <laughs> I'm the target, right? Because of the shitty algorithm, something like that. And I think that's, right now, that's, while the tech is amazing, like it's, my tech side of, the, um, of me is like, that's nice. But my, I guess my more human side, I don't have a better word to say it, but that that part feels kind of wrong. To the me. brain and says yes, the heart says no. I, I guess you can say it this way. I guess you can say it this way. But again, as I mentioned, next time I go in, 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 in San Francisco, and hopefully when I do that, way more still running, I would really, really like to start there. Like, just 
ail one of their uh, ride ailing automated cars because it seems yeah. really cool and scary. <laughs> so so yeah, that's mainly it. Again, thank you for joining me into this uh, trip down SAE self-driving cars levels. Uh, I think Yannick brought up good points that I won't lie, I kind of was expecting a bit of this society of automotive engineering to have some answers to, and possibly they have, but not in this classification. All right. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can find them at limitlesspossibility.net slash 177. Or you can find all of our episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. The podcast is on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. Or you can find us individually on Twitter. I am at Sakurina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And if you go there right now, you can see my super cute Cyberpunk 2077 character. Oh, yo, yo, yo. <laughs> is that? Lucanoche, that's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And we'll see you in two weeks about my PS5. Ooh, see you in two weeks.